0: Um, The tune um, may not be, I'm singing this a cappella, it's uh, a version of the, the 23rd Psalm. And we'll present to God his tithes and our offerings. The Lord
1: is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul and guides my paths in righteousness for his name's sake. Goodness and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. of the shadow of death I will not fear thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies sure Only goodness and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever.
0: Gracious Lord, you have indeed blessed each one of us so very richly. Lord, we're we're not all as wealthy as each other, but the wealth that we have from you is truly beyond measure. Lord, give to each one of us uh, a spirit of gratitude that we may see the gifts that we have from you, and out of that gratitude, give uh, out of our abundance For we all have an abundance, O Lord. And so may we give freely. And take, O Lord, what we offer. And use it to do your work in our lives, in this place, and in your world. Now hear us as we pray. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be in your own Bibles, or the Bibles that we've provided for you in the pews to the book of the prophet Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament, it's not quite halfway. If you want to flip it open, you'll usually end up in the Psalms, flip back a good few pages, and you should be able to, to find that. Nehemiah in chapter two is the passage that we're reading, and we're going to read the first eight verses of that chapter. Let's bow our heads and pray first before we read. Gracious Lord, you have spoken to your people through this book throughout the generations. I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon each one of us, that we might hear you speak today. Speak, O Lord, through the reading of these words. Speak, O Lord, through my voice speak o lord into the hearts of each one as we hear these words and the exposition of these words father these words are transformative this whole word is transformative so may we listen with open ears and open hearts expectantly That we may be transformed. Now hear us as we pray, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 2, and we begin at verse 1. In the month of Nisan, it's nothing to do with cars, It's it's a month in the spring in the Hebrew calendar. In the month of Nisan, there's not a month Datsun. Uh, In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I, that's Nehemiah, took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me, when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to give you just the, the brief outline of where we're going today. We're thinking about prayer this morning. And in this passage, we're going to look at three aspects of, of prayer uh, uh, that, that, that are clearly reflected in this particular passage. The first thing we're going to see um, is that we, uh, uh, Nehemiah enters into a season of prayer. The second thing we're going to see is Nehemiah pray, prays a sudden prayer. And the third thing we're going to see is that God grants to Nehemiah a solution through his prayer. So these are the three things. We're on S's today. A season of prayer, a sudden prayer, and God granting Nehemiah a solution through prayer. First thing, a season of prayer. It it may not at first be apparent to you as you read this passage. Last week, we read chapter 1, this week we're jumping into chapter 2. But um, between these two chapters is a pretty lengthy period of time. A full four months go past in this, uh, this space between the chapters. We find at the very beginning of chapter 1, we find it says this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Achaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev. The month of Kislev. Kislev is the month, uh, uh, our equivalent month of December. That's where we are in chapter 1. That's when Nehemiah gets the news. That's when Nehemiah is devastated by what is happening in the city of Jerusalem to the people of Jerusalem. And that is when he enters into a period of prayer and fasting. And we discover... That he, uh, the passage says uh, in chapter one, that he was in this period of prayer and fasting for many days. In, in verse four of chapter one, it says, "As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days." What it doesn't tell us in chapter one is just how many days that he is in mourning and fasting and prayer but when we get into chapter 2 we find just how many days it is because we discover that this is in the month of nisan the month of nisan is the month of april so he has been in this season of prayer and fasting for a full four months that's a great many days nehemiah seems to have been Uh, a little bit um, uh, short on the truth in a sense. He's been quite economical with the truth in terms of telling how many days it is that he has been praying and fasting. Perhaps it's his own sense of humility that he doesn't want to acknowledge the extreme length of time that he has been in this period of of prayer. And it's during this time that, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, he is entering into a full Season of prayer. And it would seem that during this, this time uh, uh, of praying and fasting, he's worked very hard to keep himself together. And that's clear from the passage. Uh, it, it says this in, in uh, verse 1 when King Artaxerxes was uh, receiving wine from Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah goes on to say, Now I had not been sad in his presence although nehemiah was in this period of mourning and fasting he still had his work to do he still had to get on with his service to the king he was a slave after all he couldn't neglect his service to the king and so he was carrying out his work and he was carrying out his work with either a a somber face as might befit a servant in that particular position or with a cheerful disposition I don't know, the text does not get into that. But it's certainly clear from this text that he does not reflect his inner turmoil during this particular period. This is between him and God. And he is in God's presence for these four months, even while he's in the presence of the king. But his outward appearance is not reflecting his sadness, his inner turmoil. And it must have been simply in an un guarded moment or in a moment guarded by God that this great mighty king Artaxerxes notices that something is amiss. And that's significant in and of itself that Artaxerxes notices a slave. Slaves are meant to be in the background aren't they? But it's very clear from this passage that Artaxerxes must have had some type of Fondness for this particular slave. You see, Artaxerxes' life was always in this man's hands. Quite literally, the cup was born in his hands. The tasting of the wine to make sure there was no poison was done in the hand as well. The king's life was held in this man's hands. So there was an intimate trust and a significant trust that Artaxerxes had. For Nehemiah, So he noticed that this man was sad. And it's significant that he didn't just notice, but he spoke to him and addressed him in his sadness. He knew this man well. He knew that he wasn't sick. He knew there was nothing wrong with the wine. He knew that what this man was going through was not a physical malady, but it was a sickness of the heart. Nehemiah, tell me what's going on. You're not sick. There's nothing physically wrong with you. You've been losing weight. I've seen that. Over the last four months, your weight has dropped and dropped. You're a shadow of your former self. You don't have the strength. You don't have the vigor. You don't have the joy that once you had. Tell me why why you are suffering so. What is going on? Now Artaxerxes apparently was known as the king with long hands. Now that may be a a reference to his, he may have been a a large man with very large hands, but it also may talk about his reach. He was a man who had a far reach in the empire, uh, spread far and wide. But not only did he have long hands, I think we can also say that Artaxerxes was a king with a tender heart as he reached out to his servant. Now, it was because of this season of prayer that Artaxerxes had noticed this condition with Nehemiah. And it's out of this season of prayer that Nehemiah was able to respond. It's because he had spent time with God, because he had spent time reflecting on his own heart, his own response to the people, his own response to the situation that he, had dis- that he had discovered from his brother who had come and shared this news, it was because of the season of prayer that he was able to be so forthright with the king. Why? Because he was not speaking on his own. He was speaking in a very real sense with the voice of God as well. I can imagine, perhaps you can as well, and I know there are there are seasons in our, our lives where we know that there's something not right with a loved one, with someone in the church, with um, someone in our family. We notice there's, a, there's an issue and we're not entirely sure how to address it, but we know that we need to address it. We know we need to speak to that loved one. And we wait and we pray. And sometimes it needs to be addressed quickly, but there are other times we need to wait for the right moment. We need to wait until the time is just right and it seems like in a very real way this may have been what nehemiah was doing he was waiting on god's time you see he could have spoken to the king on any occasion about this situation he was with the king every day at every meal he was a slave he didn't get vacation time he was there constantly and he could have spoken at any moment but he waited until God's time when the time was right that's why I said earlier it may have been an unguarded moment for Nehemiah but it might have been a God guarded moment for him That this was God's time this was God's time now one of the things that we may imagine about seasons of prayer is purely and simply people being uh, in a room together with their eyes closed and their hands on their heads and, and mumbling in, in quiet or silent prayer That might be what some of us will imagine about prayer. But it's very clear from this passage that Nehemiah's period of prayer, his season of prayer, was far more than that. There's an ancient uh, Latin inscription that you find in a number of different places. Orare est laborare. In Latin, uh, uh, the English translation means to pray is... To work. For the Christian, prayer is not an escape from life, but prayer is part of the essential work of our life. It's what God is calling us to. And how can we know what God is calling us to unless we are aware of His voice, unless we are spending time in His presence listening to Him? And preparing ourselves. You see one of the things that's very very clear from this passage is that when, when Artaxerxes asks Nehemiah what, what, do you, what do you need? There's no pause. There's no break. Nehemiah is able to give him an answer straight away. Well I'm going to need letters. And I'm going to need letters to these particular people. I know who. I need letters from Asaph the keeper of the king's forest. Give me a letter to him because he's the one that can provide for me all that I'm going to need to rebuild the city. I know what I need. So during this prayer time, it's not been a time sequestered, doing nothing. It's been a time in God's presence, considering God's leading and God's guiding and God's direction and making the practical plans that are required to fulfill the plan that God has for him and for God's people that's what's happening during this season of prayer that's the first thing the second thing that we see is uh, not just a season of prayer but we see a sudden moment of prayer a sudden prayer coming up uh, when when uh, Nehemiah is before the king first of all he's very very afraid Again, you must understand that as a slave, his life was always uh, uh, on, on the line. If he did something wrong, if the king was not in a particularly good mood, he could be put to death. If he did something the king didn't like, he could be put to death. If his attitude was not quite right on the wrong day, he could be put to death. And so it starts with his fear. He was very much afraid. He didn't know really how to respond but he knew that this was God's moment so he responded honestly and he responded truthfully and then the king says what do you want what do you want how do you want me to address this what do you want me to give to you what do you want me to do for you this is the great king Artaxerxes and before he says anything else I don't know if you noticed what happens immediately after that so i prayed to the god of heaven and then i said to the king do you notice the order of things there he prays to the god of heaven and then he speaks to the king i wonder how often have you and i been in a situation where we've run our mouth we've said something and then we pray to god how many times have you written an email And sent it and thought oh my goodness why did I ever send that we've all done that we speak and then we say oh Lord forgive me well here is the order in which we need to address our communications with each other and with others and with the world and I said I prayed to the God of heaven and then I said to the king This has been referred to as an arrow prayer. A quick prayer shot up. It's not a season of prayer. But it's a prayer that Nehemiah knows is most appropriate. Why? Because he's had the season of prayer. He knows who God is. He knows where God is. He knows how to relate to God. He has this intimate, in-depth relationship with his heavenly Father. And he knows in this moment he needs this real-time connection With him. So he throws up a quick prayer, Lord, help me, help me, give me the right words. I've been in your presence these last four months, help me now. And he prays, and then the Lord gives him the words that he needs to say to the king. And these are not easy words that he speaks to the king. And he's asking for letters, he's asking for supplies. He's asking the king to release him from service. Oh, and do you notice again the king's concern and the king's affection perhaps for Nehemiah? How long are you going to be gone? When will it be until you come back? You're one of the very few people I can trust. My life has been in your hands for all these years. I need to know not just that you're coming back, but I need to know when... You're coming back. Nehemiah is able to set his heart at rest. But what's even more significant is the fact that he asks for letters. Letters of introduction. Letters of safety. Letters of safe travel. If you were to um, flick back a few chapters into the book of Ezra, into chapter 4, you'll see that in that particular chapter in verses I think it's 20 through 23 that um, this same king had been asked for letters. He had been sent a letter asking that he write a letter to the people of Jerusalem. And the situation back in in Ezra chapter 4 is such that the enemies of the people of Judah are up in arms that the city is being rebuilt. They don't want to see the city rebuilt. They're happy with the situation uh, as as it is. They don't want to see things change and transform and grow. They have no interest in that. They want to see God's people crushed. So what they do is they send a letter to this same king, Artaxerxes, and and say, don't you know what these people are like? Don't you know that they have a history of breaking down uh, the kings and the nations around them, don't you know that they are only faithful to their God and have no interest in following another king if you allow them to rebuild you're going to have nothing but trouble, have them stop and have them stop now and so what Artaxerxes does, the same king he writes a letter and orders all rebuilding to cease He gives and issues a royal decree that this ought not to happen. And instantly the building stops. And so here in this passage we find Nehemiah standing before the king and saying, See that order that you gave to stop the rebuilding? Can you rescind that order and allow me to go back and restart the rebuilding? Can you imagine how much courage that takes? You said one thing. I want you to turn that around. He throws a prayer up to God. The Lord gives him the words and gives him the strength. And in that, we find that the solution is God's solution. I um. I read I read uh, an article online the other day. There. It was about George Lucas. He was a man who who developed uh, the, the whole Star Wars series. He, he told the, the story of, of the, the Skywalker clan and uh, made three movies back in the 70s and 80s uh, made a prequel trilogy that didn't go too well. And a number of years ago, he sold the rights to the Star Wars saga to uh, the, the Walt Disney Company. And they took that and they decided to make The final trilogy of Star Wars, among a whole host of other things as well that they're doing. Some well, some not so well. But George Lucas sold the rights to the entire thing. Lucasfilm became a property of uh, the Walt Disney Company. And when Lucas sold the rights to that, he uh, also sold to them treatments that he had written. Scripts, outlines that he had written for the last three Star Wars movies and the Disney company bought those as well with the understanding that they may or may not use them, no obligation to use them whatsoever. They also made an arrangement with uh, George Lucas that he could act as an advisor in telling the story from these, uh, these three movies again, with no obligation that they would use any of his stuff. When the first of the sequel trilogy came out a few years ago, uh, George Lucas, the report, uh, said, uh, felt betrayed. And he felt upset that his story had not been used. Here's the thing. The story had ceased to be Lucas's story. He had sold the rights to the story. He had given the story away. It was someone else's story to tell. For Nehemiah, he was very much aware that the story that he was not just telling, but the story that he was living was not his story to tell. From start to finish, it was God's story. He was not just telling it, but he was living that story. Each step of the way, as we've gone through these two passages, he gave himself into God's hands and allowed God, if you can use a word like allowed with God, which I don't think you can, because God will do What God will do but he entrusted himself into God's hands and into God's keeping and God told God's story his story history (coughs) through Nehemiah friends I wonder I wonder what would happen if we were truly willing and able to commit ourselves to a season of prayer that in the moments when we need to speak we will cast up a prayer to God before we go forward and if we're willing to recognize that the story that we are living never has been ours and it is not ours now but is God's story I wonder what would happen And we'll find out in the next few weeks what happened for Nehemiah as he trusted in the Lord and began the process of rebuilding. Not only did he rebuild the city, but he rebuilt the the, the people. And they flourished. And they became what God was calling them to be. May that be so for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our hymn is 353. Three. My hope is built on nothing less. Hymn 353. Three. And as we sing, I would uh, ask if the, the children and youth would...